Good morning, everyone. This morning's scripture reading is from Romans 8, 28 to maybe 37. And you can read along on page 10. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and that he predestined that he also called, those he called, he also justified, those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all these, all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is the word of the Lord. because much of what I was going to preach on, Izzy has said, it happened last week too, Sonia said much of James used a, a Lord of the Rings reference, so I feel really Presbyterian, and I'm sad I didn't pick that out to use it as well. <laughs> but maybe what you do notice in this particular passage that we've just read as we're looking at what does it mean to have joy in the now and not yet, the word joy does not appear. It's not present in this. When we talked about peace, it was there. When we talked about hope, it was there. But here we're in this passage, and joy is not present. And so is this just a, a preacher trying to finagle an idea into some scripture? Maybe. But really what I believe we see here is the path for joy for us. It's a place where we move to joy. Most of us live our lives in a way that we are looking for the ultimate. We are wanting something that will just sort of wrap everything up. In our good times, we're thinking maybe this is it, and we've hit it, and we're in our stride, and really in a groove, and things are going really well. In our most desperate times, it's often that we're like, maybe this next thing that's going to happen, this, this one thing that, that if I could just get to this, if I could just get to this, or if this could happen to me, then my life would work itself out. If you believe Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the ultimate answer to life and the universe and everything is 42. And in some ways, 
It feels that way in our lives when we get to the point of, of feeling like maybe it's there and we see the answer and we go, but, but that can't be it. There must be something more. And in the now and not yet, here in this place, we see uh, Paul letting us know that there is a place for us, there is a purpose for us, that we have a personhood in someone, and we have someone who has come for us. My dad put it this way, know who you are and whose you are. And I believe that unlocks for us the ability to walk into a joy that is deeply understood and deeply rooted in that place. Know who you are and whose you are. Who are you? How has God designed you and made you? And what does he have for you? In this particular passage, we see that God has called us and given us a purpose. More than that, it says all things work to the good of those who love him or are wrapped up in his love, captured by him. You are one that is called. You are one who is predestined. You are one who is justified. Meaning that you have been made new. You've been taken from the things that could hold you in bondage and you've been released from those. And you will be glorified. Not in the sense that people will see you and go, wow, look at that guy. But you will be glorified because you will be joined with Christ when he comes again. And we are told in Colossians that when he appears, you know, Jesus, who is our life, we will be like him because we have been transformed to him. But more than that, who are you? You are one who nothing can stand against if you are in Christ. You are one who has been given everything that you need for this life and beyond. In fact, there is no one who can condemn you. Now, that's good for many of us because there are those that we feel are seeking to condemn us. And sometimes it's even our own hearts that are crying out towards us to condemn us. But you are one who is not condemned in the now, currently, to be fulfilled in the not yet. One who is chosen and justified. One who is not condemned. That is who you are. How does that look? What does that mean? Well, it means when times are going great and you're beginning to get puffed up, you can recognize that all this is good and great, but it's not all that I am. My successes do not define my personhood. They don't tell me what I am all about. My primary identity rest in who I am in Christ. And it means when things are not going well and things are broken in your heart and in your relationship, it means that when, when your work is not going the way you want it to go or you are just bombarded with thoughts that are bringing you down, that we look up 
And we say, these don't define me. Because our failures don't define us either. Our successes don't make us who we are, and our failures don't make us who we are. It is that we are in Christ, ones who are chosen and the firstborn with Christ. That we are made to be, as 37 says, more than conquerors. But who's are we? If that's who we are, well, that's great, but that's not an identity that we built. That's not a, a particularness about us that we made, because we couldn't do those things. We would fail miserably at those things. So who's are we? Well, all through this, you see the one that is making the action. You see the one who is pushing in, the one who is calling forth. It says God is the one who works. God is the one who foreknew you. God is the one who predestined you. God is the one who called you. God is the one who justifies you. God is the one who will glorify you. That God is the one, the one that did not spare his own son. God calls you forth from darkness to light, from bondage into freedom, from death into life. And God is the one who makes us more than conquerors. And more than that, Jesus himself is speaking to the Father on our behalf. So if there's ever a time that you think God is looking at you and going, you're a big failure. Know that that's not possible because Jesus is constantly talking to Jesus. Uh, Jesus is talk, constantly talking to God about you and me and all those that are his. Reminding him, saying to him over and over, they're in the midst of trials and tribulation. Their eyes are being taken off your throne. Father, do you see them? Remember who they are to you. Just like the psalmist cries out and says, God, why would you let the world mock you? Don't you remember who you are? Jesus is doing the same thing for us, reminding God who we are, interceding for us. Not just by death on the cross, which is the ultimate intercession. It's the very thing that makes all this possible. But even now, waiting to be fulfilled. Reminding God, not as if he has forgotten, but bringing it before him, holding us up, saying, this is the work. These are your beloved. These are the ones you have called. And in that place, then we're able to walk, knowing that we are more than who we have made ourselves to be. And we belong more than just our, to, just, to just more than ourselves. We belong to God. We are his possession and his people. Oftentimes, our lives can be filled with a place like an old episode of Seinfeld. And I don't just mean nothing, which is what Seinfeld is all about. It's one particular episode. Uh, Seinfeld had all, uh, a group of friends that were around him. And he was paying attention to his group of friends and things were happening in their lives. And so Elaine lost a job and George got a job. And something happened to Kramer. Who knows what happened to him? And just sort of going like this. 
And Jerry at the end of it says, see, this is the thing. It just all balances out. One bad thing, one good thing. One bad thing, one good thing. One bad thing, one good thing. And ultimately it will balance out. And I think that's how we proceed into this place of joy. We're like, joy will be here if it just balances out. If somehow I'll have just as much, maybe just a little bit more of the good than I do of the bad. If I can just get over the edge. But when we read what God has done here and who he has made us to be, can I say that God's giftedness, his movement towards us is so lavishly beyond any bad that we will encounter? That doesn't mean that we enter into that bad going, okay, God's got something for me to learn in this. Because then we kind of look like that kid that I've seen recently on YouTube who thinks he has an apple, but it's an onion, and he decides that he's going to eat it anyway because his parents say, you, you don't want to eat that. That's, and he's like, no, no, I love onions. And he takes a big old bite into that onion, and his parents say, do you, do you like that? And you can look at him. He's trying to really muster up the energy to say, yes, I love this. Right? Sometimes when we encounter hardship, we sort of say in a platitudinal way, yes, but God's got something for me in this. I just gotta gut it up, and if I say it long enough, maybe I'll believe this onion is an apple. Joy doesn't do that. Joy recognizes the brokenness that we are in. It anchors us in who we are and whose we are. Giving us the ability to walk in grief and in laments, in groaning, as we talked about last week, in order that God's love that we cannot be separated from comes in and brings us to a place of not happiness. Joy resides in contentment. Joy resides in the place where we are content to believe and trust and actively pursue who we are and whose we are. Joy is content knowing that every trial and every success is fleeting in comparison to what is to come and the glory that God will present. But I will not deny it. I will not make it small or insignificant, but I can rest with contentment, holding on to the faith that God has given me, knowing that he is leading me to himself. And maybe, yes, after you've been through something, you can look back and go, oh, that's what God was teaching me. For me, it's normally patience. But maybe for you and maybe for me sometimes it doesn't feel that way. But what we do know is that God has never forsaken us in it. And so we can be content, which is the foundation of joy. The lack of joy is believing you don't have enough. The lack of joy is believing things should go your way and they're not. The lack of joy 
is an elevation of self on the throne of your heart. Contentment is the foundation of joy because we see who belongs on the throne. It's a belief that he has given me enough. It is a belief that there is a future that he has prepared for us to go to. Let me pray for us. God, we come to you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for the joy that is in the now and not yet. The joy that comes because we cannot be separated from you. The joy that comes because of the work that Jesus has done and who we are and whose we are. That we are your children and we belong to you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand and respond together. Bless you.